Our reading today will be taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 13, from 1 to end. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes re rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, Nick's going to come to us. So I thought we'd just pray for him. Thanks. Father, thank you for Nick. Uh, thank you that you've got um, a word that you've given him to, for us. And we pray that you'd open our hearts and give him the words that will really click with us. And we'd know and go away today knowing that God, you have spoken to us. So bless him now. Amen. Hello. Good morning. Good to see you all. So to start off, I thought I'd share a story from a couple of summers ago. So um, I often stay at my Nana's house. And um, one of the things that I like to do was as my Nana would go to bed, she'd go to bed earlier than I would, I'd like to um, worship for a bit longer in her lounge. And um, one of my guilty pleasures within that was often to have a glass of Coca-Cola. And um, the thing is, I'd put it on this coffee table. I'd like to turn out all the lights. And there was one moment where I accidentally walked into this coffee table. And let's just say, which is often typical with my drinks, my cup overflowed in that moment. And... You can probably guess what happened. There's Coca-Cola all over my Nana's sofa. But the trouble was, it wasn't just any sofa, but it was this white sofa. So in that moment, I was like, oh no, what do I do? This panic coming over me. It was so tempting just to bury it, just to hide it, just to pretend that nothing had happened and just carry on. But I knew I had to do something. And the trouble was, I don't really know about the magic of cleaning chemicals and how they work. It's an art and expertise that is beyond my understanding. So I decided I'd wake my nana up. And she was so kind and gracious and she knew how to get the stain out and thankfully it came out. But I wonder whether we have that same choice when it comes to your meant. And that's what we're looking at today as we continue our series in the Psalms. We have that choice with our deepest pain, hurt and disappointment and regrets and sorrows. Do we bring it into the presence of Jesus where there can be healing and freedom? Or perhaps it feels more comfortable to bury it. You meant, I was Googling what it actually means and Google told me it's this passionate expression of grief or sorrow. But I think it's more than just an expression of grief and sorrow, but it's expressing it in his presence. 
Yamantis' invitation to bring our deepest wounds to the wounded healer, to show our deepest scars to the nail-scarred saviour, to offer up our suffering to the son of suffering, to bring our deepest sorrows to the man of sorrows. And that's the journey of lament. It's not just lament for lament's sake, but it's bringing our lament into the presence of God and with God. And as we've seen in Psalm 13, it's a psalm of lament. And to be honest, when I got this psalm to preach on, I was a little bit like, oh, why can't I get the upbeat, joyful psalms? And to be honest, I felt quite intimidated by this topic and a little bit unqualified, as I don't feel like personally in this, being a yacht I've needed to lament yet in my life. And I'm really aware that in this room right now, there'll be much greater stories of pain, hurt and loss, much greater than I've ever experienced. But at the same time, I'm also kind of excited to dive into this psalm. And I hope that looking at this together will be helpful Whatever our experience is, whatever our experience is right now, hopefully it'll be helpful in the journey of how can we amend? What does healthy amend look like? Because in this moment now, as a church, as a world, there's perhaps never been a more timely response. And I think just as much of the Spirit wants to teach us to pray, the Spirit wants to teach us to amend. So let's go on a journey through Psalm 13 that Amelia read to us. And I think we perhaps learn some principles of what healthy lament looks like on this journey from expressing our pain to that place of prayer, of desperation, of petition, to praise. So the first part we see clearly is that David expresses his pain and sorrow. It's almost like he has no filter. He expresses his frustration and despair. Four time he cries out, how young, how young, how young. It's like this agonising sense of him not being able to endure for much longer. As I was thinking about this phrase of how young, how young, I was reminded a little bit of like children on a car journey who keep on saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And what that question is actually saying is that actually, as children cry out, are we there yet? It's that sense of boredom, that sense of agitation, that sense of impatience, of our desperation of wanting to get to their destination. And I think we see that even more so with David, as he's crying out, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We can hear that honest expression, that heart cry of his pain that he's experiencing spiritually, emotionally and physically. He doesn't hold back because he meant is that honest heart cry. And David here, particularly in this psalm, but in many others across scripture, gives us permission to express and voice our most authentic feelings. And I found it particularly interesting on my emphasis that David has of being feeling like he's forgotten or abandoned by God and God hiding his face. And the reason why that intrigued me was like, but surely the rest of scripture affirms the truth that God doesn't forget us, that God doesn't abandon or forsake us. And David even writes Psalms later on that affirms that truth that even in the deepest depths, even on the highest mountain, God is there. 
yeah, I think maybe that's the point of the meant. It isn't necessarily theologically correct, but it's an honest heart cry of how we're feeling. David isn't necessarily saying that he's been abandoned by God, but that he feels like he has. That the pain and the agony he's experiencing is like God has hidden his face. And the use of rhetorical questions also strike me. Because David isn't necessarily even looking for answers. We can so often try to explain away our pain with theological answers rather than simply bringing the honesty and the messiness of our truest feelings before him. And as a pain of first generation, we're so easy to numb it. I wonder whether I often feel like I can often compare of what I'm going through to what others are suffering. I mean, I can feel that pressure, that kind of nagging sense of, oh, I should just move on, I should just carry on and pretend it's not there. But actually, I think there's this invitation from God to actually, let's be real, what's actually going on? Let's actually grieve, let's actually process this together. And I remember particularly... Um, feeling like that as I moved from Durham um, where I studied at university to Sheffield it was very tempting just to wash into this new season with excitement excited for a new adventure that God had for me but then at the same time I realised actually there was a lot more grief when I realised of actually even behind the old season of what had been a beautiful time with community and close friends and and actually, I felt that invitation of God of, let's grieve this. Let's lament it together. And I often felt that pressure to bury it, to numb it. But the thing is, with the men, it shouldn't be forced, but neither should it be numbed. It's making space and time to really process the emotion of what we're experiencing with God and before God. We don't need to explain it away. And the more I've got to know Jesus, the more I've discovered that he really cares. He's concerned by what concerns us. He's distressed by what distresses us. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small for him. He's the God of the universe, yet the astonishing wonder is that he never belittles or trivializes our pain, but he stands right beside us and weeps with us in it. I've always loved the story of Lazarus, and one of the most powerful moments that I find so captivating is that moment where we simply read, Jesus wept. And I find it crazy because Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows the end of the story that he's going to rise Lazarus from the dead. But even there still, he takes time to be present to that pain, to simply sit, to weep to your med, to weep with Mary and Martha in their disappointment. He doesn't see it as a waste. And it's actually an act of faith. I think sometimes we can feel like, oh, is it... Faithlessness, bringing our deepest pain, our deepest doubts, our deepest questions before God. But I think it's actually an act of faith, because it's that righteous indignation in alignment with who we know God is. It's actually faith. Faithlessness would be hiding our pain from him, but faith is bringing it to him. It's trusting him with what is most precious to us, expressing the sorrow and pain before him. It's this costly offering a sacrifice of praise that is precious to his heart. And he's the one who catches and treasures every teardrop. It's vulnerable, it's uncomfortable, it's allowing Jesus into the parts of our deepest pain that we most like to hide. And again, in the story of Lazarus, I'm often struck by how Martha has to ward away the stone of where Lazarus is buried 
for Jesus to be able to enter in. And she protests, saying, but it's a bad smell, it's, it's smelly in there. Jesus, you don't want to go in there. And I wonder whether maybe that can often be our protest as well. Jesus, why do you want to go into that place of my heart, that place of that deepest pain and disappointment? Surely it's smelly, it's messy, you don't want to go in there. And it's vulnerable to wall back the stone and allow Jesus to enter in. But we can be painfully honest with him. He's big enough to handle the weight of our deepest doubts, fears. He's trustworthy, the promise is that he's gentle and lowly. He won't snuff out a smoldering wick. He won't crush a bruised weed. It's known that only in the presence of Jesus, only in the refuse of a shadow of the wings, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be completely authentic and real. So I wonder, will we allow ourselves to express our deepest pain and sorrow in the presence of a man of sorrows? And then David moves on from this place of expressing pain to this place of prayer and petition. There's a whisk, perhaps, who could stay stuck in sorrow, but that isn't God's intention or heart, but actually he, he longs for us to be free, to find this healing and restoration that doesn't come from hiding our wounds, but neither can it come from drowning in it. The man gives voice to our pain in such a way it yields us into a fresh desperation for more of Jesus, a fresh hungering and thirsting for more of him. The man transitions us from expressing pain of prayers to the that prayer of petition, that desperation. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. David cries out. He's crying out for God to respond and notice him. It's a cry of desperation. In seasons of event where it feels more dry and barren, we thirst for God in a new way. There we realise that there really is no other well of living water. There really is no other source of water. Jesus is the only one, the only well, that can satisfy and bring refreshment in our mourning and your meant. And we see that often in the Psalms. Like a Psalm 63, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And David continues to cry out in prayer with that posture of hunger and desperation. Give the act to my eyes or I will steep in death. He knows more than just breakthrough in his situation. He needs breakthrough in the way that he sees. He needs breakthrough in his perspective. That he needs a new way of seeing. Of seeing not just physically, but being able to see things spiritually. To be able to see things unseen rather than just what is seen. To see things from Jesus' perspective. And Paul echoes a similar prayer to that of David in Ephesians. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In the midst of our lament, we need our eyes to be enlightened. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see him, to know him, Jesus, in the midst of our sorrow and pain, to see the one who is walking up to us in the midst of our storms, the one who is walking above the wind and the waves. Like Elisha's servant, we need our eyes to be able to see it even when we're surrounded, to see the armies of the living God surrounding us. We need eyes to see Jesus, to see where he is, man of sorrows, 
God with us, weeping with us in our deepest pain. It's that recognition recognition that he is the only answer. That when the answer's one dry, and the goal of our lament is to know him better. It's to know him in his suffering. A prayer that even in our pain and sorrow, to have our eyes open to know more of his hope, the riches of his inheritance of knowing him, and just how great his power is. It's a deep heart cry of desperation for more of God, we're doing that nothing else will do. Like Jacob wrestling with God, crying out, I will not let you go until you bless me. Your meant is that invitation into deeper intimacy. So that we are like that image of that lover in Song of Songs who comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. And I felt like particularly Yash yeah, in this season that felt more lonely and more hidden. I realized as an invitation that actually in my loneliness, God wanted to be alone with me. And it almost felt like actually this past season has been so much grace of like Jesus alluring me into the wilderness once again to rediscover his love, to simply return to my first love above anything else. Lament is that expression of hunger and desperation. It's ultimately that longing for more of Jesus. And then as we transition further into the psalm, we begin to see a clear shift into praise. David cries out defiantly, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. It shows us that lament ultimately leads to praise. It's that defiance in choosing to praise even in the storm. It's a choice to trust. But I trust in your unfailing love. It's in the depth of our pain that we often see most the depth of his unfailing love. That even when everything else fails, that's where we see that his love never fails. That his love is firm enough to put the full weight of our hope and trust in. That is a love that's big enough to handle the brokenness. A love so great that it reaches to us even in the depths of our pain. My heart rejoices in your salvation. It's this invitation to remember where we've come from, what we've been rescued from. As we remember our salvation, it causes joy to rise up in a new way, a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. And your meant, I think, is that longing for God to restore to us the joy of our salvation. Maybe that's our prayer for today, restore the joy of our salvation. I recently heard a church leader, Ness Wilson, speak, and she's been through such a deep journey of great pain and loss in this last season, and she was sharing with such vulnerability and courage. And one of the things that she was sharing in in her story was she had this quote that I thought was particularly profound. The greater our capacity for sorrow, the greater our capacity is for joy. I wonder the more that we press into your mind, it can actually be that doorway to greater joy as we thirst the more of Jesus and his salvation. Your mind leads us to that place of choosing to praise, choosing to worship, choosing to, to be defiant in the midst of our enemies. We can almost sense the defiance in David as he declares, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. It's that defiance of choosing to feast even in the midst of his enemies of deep pain, sorry, sorrow and agony, choosing to feast there, because even there he's prepared a table for us. 
There's something about singing his praise and singing of his goodness, even in the midst of our storm, it's like warfare. We often see that biblically. I'm reminded of in the Old Testament, King Jehoshaphat, in the Old Testament, as he goes into battle, he puts worshippers at the front of the army to sing and praise, singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Praise is often the key that causes us to remember his goodness. It's that battle to remember that even when we don't feel like it, even when we perhaps began to forget it, praise is the doorway to declaring and remembering that he is good. It's remembering his goodness, our own stories of how the Lord has been good to us. Like we were doing earlier, I love that we were able just to share stories from this past week. Because sharing stories and remembering, being intentional about remembering God's goodness gives us confidence that we will see God's goodness in the land of the living, even now. It's that posture of surrender and trust that if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we can trust and be confident that if we've seen God's goodness yesterday, that he will still be good tomorrow. It's a holding on to that promise that his goodness and mercy will follow us all of our days. So I wonder how can we be intentional remembering how the Lord has been good to us? In some translations, I love that it says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I love that phrase. I wonder what stories can we remember where we have experienced where the Lord has dealt bountifully with us, where he's gone above and beyond and lavished in his kindness and love. It's not belittling our pain, but it's about bringing our pain into perspective of praise. It's that choice to lift our eyes off the greatness of our pain and actually lift them again onto the greatness of God. Because we don't have to understand to praise. And life is often that journey of walking by faith and not by sight. But at the same time, having seen enough of his goodness to be able to trust. It's not running away from God, but actually running to him. To the one who catches every teardrop. To end with, I was, a I was reminded of a time last year that some of us were on retreat at a place called the Jonas Centre in the North Yorkshire countryside. And there was one day where we were walking to this castle. And as we were walking, it was in the middle of this massive storm. The rain was pelting down. It was windy. We were absolutely drenched. could barely see in front of us. And it was such an adventure walking through these fields to this castle. And as we got to this castle, completely drenched and soaked, pretty cold, shivering, we found a little church that we were able to shelter in. And I thought maybe that might be a helpful picture of what the lament is like. That pilgrimage through the wind and the waves of sorrow and grief to that shelter, the safety and refuge under the shadow of his wings the presence of Jesus, that man of sorrows walking to weep with us, those nail-scarred hands reaching out to hold us and embrace us in our pain and lament. Lament is that journey of bringing our pain to Jesus, but at the same time with Jesus being right alongside us. That journey from pain, from expressing our pain to that prayer of desperation or petition, to that place of praise and surrender as we bring our deepest wounds to the wounded healer, and we present our deepest scars 
to be now God's Savior, as we offer up our suffering to the Son of Suffering, as we bring our deepest sorrows to the man of sorrows. Because the goal is ultimately deeper communion with Jesus, knowing him in his sufferings, this man of sorrows, this son of suffering, the one who weeps and bleeds with us and for us. It's all about him. It's about being present to him in our pain. So I thought we'd just end with a moment of perhaps quiet, but actually an opportunity just to be really honest with God in the quietness of these moments of actually bringing our pain before him. Maybe ask that question to yourself, how am I actually feeling? And then maybe that you can then turn that into a prayer of desperation, a prayer of petition, of crying out for more of Jesus. And then maybe it might be helpful to actually imagine saying that I trust in your unfailing love. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. So Father, I pray that now in these moments, as we sit in the quiet, as we bring our pain and our sorrows before you, I do pray, Lord, that you would meet with us, that you would come close to the brokenhearted, that you would pour out your comfort and your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would take us into that place of deeper prayer and desperation for more of you, and that in that place that we'd be able to praise and trust again your unfailing love that we're about to remember your goodness. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. don't want to watch this but in the background we're going to start playing a song that is all about Jesus the son of suffering because that's what as we cry out our praise to him start remembering that he is there with us that he is the God who weeps and bleeds that he is the man of sorrows he's not distant so yeah in this place of prayer and quiet let's fix our eyes on Jesus the son of suffering it plays in the background quietly. Mm-hmm. 